The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Reck and Alex Wood. Welcome to Colorado Equal Security. This is the newscast for episode 81 for the week of August 27th. Alex, how are you doing? I am wonderful. How are you, Rob? I can't I can't complain at all. We are coming to the end of the summer though. It's the weather's cooling off and uh, kids are back in school. Yeah, but you know what? It's supposed to be hot again next week. I thought we were going to be in fall already, and now I'm going to be all hot and sweaty. And yeah. we've had, we've hey. had some up and down on it, right? But snow could be could be coming soon. I did see on the news that there is uh, some snow on the mountains out near Aspen. Um, hey, Alex, we have some really exciting news stories to talk through this week. We do. I'm super excited. But let's start with uh, some housekeeping. Let me start off with letting you know that we have a Slack channel. And do you do you know what Slack is? It's a little bit like an IRC channel except more GUI-based. Yes, it is exactly like IRC, except not IRC. And if you want to get an invitation, you can go out to colorado-security.com and click on the Slack channel button. That'll give you the link to join. Also on colorado-security.com is a link to join our mailing list. If you would like our show notes emailed to you every week, uh, then you go ahead and sign up there and we will get those out to you. And if you listen to this show every week by like manually clicking on it and downloading it, you're not you're not really doing the, taking the best advantage of the technology that exists. That's true. You can subscribe to the show. It will be automatically delivered to your favorite podcast client. And of course, if you uh, if you like it, we'd love it if you'd review us and say nice things about us, and maybe that'll get other folks to come listen to us. Also, if you like us a whole lot, you could sign up to be part of our Patreon campaign. Uh, that is a campaign that we're using to help raise some money to cover the costs for the show. Uh, you can sign up there at certain levels. We will give you things like shout outs on the show and t-shirts. Uh, this week, we don't have anybody to shout out. So if you go and sign up, then we'll be able to do that for you next week. All right, let's go ahead and jump into the stories. Number one, there is a new archery games um, activity. I don't even call it an, arch, an archery games center in Arvada. So is this like shooting apples off of people's heads, Rob? Is It's, it's actually more like playing dodgeball, but with a bow and arrow. So, so you, wow. You, do you know anybody that's done this? So, uh, you know, I do these team building events when my team comes into town and, and we were searching the area to find a, an activity to do this week. And we just did um, archery, archery tag, archery games on, on Friday. And it was a blast. We had a really good time up in Arvada. And I recommend folks take a look at the link in the show notes if you're interested in going and, and go, go sign up. It was good, clean, fun. No injuries. Good, clean, fun. They just opened this week. Um, nice, nice folks doing the, the business there and recommend folks do that for team building events or just with your friends. Awesome. Uh, next, there is some big news this week. Uh, there is a spaceport that got a license in Colorado. So what was formerly known as Jeffco Airport and then known as Front Range Airport is now going to be known as... The Colorado Spaceport. Colorado Space and Airport, I believe, is the, oh, okay. is the official name of it. Sorry. So does this mean that I'm going to be able to go there and watch the big takeoffs like you can do at Cape Canaveral? Uh, I think what it means is as soon as they got the license, you could immediately go there to get to space. That sounds pretty good. <laughs> no, actually, um, it is not the big rockets like you would think of at Cape Canaveral. Uh, it is some of the other, uh, yeah. I'll call them smaller. The horizontal, um, it's the horizontal takeoffs. Yes. And yep. those, that's the kind of plan that's scheduled um, for like Richard Branson's Virgin Orbit and Paul Allen's Straddle Launch Venture. Uh, and the ne- the first missions are scheduled for about five years from now. So get, um, your t- get your tickets now. Put me on the list. Let's do it. 
All right. Uh, next, this one hits close to home for me. Uh, Ting is is uh, a kind of standalone broadband fiber company that's coming to Colorado, and they've started rolling out fiber throughout Centennial, Colorado, which is where I live. Wow. So, Rob, do you have gigabit fiber in your home now? Not yet. I was one of the very first people to sign up and say, "Get bring it to me, but they're doing neighborhood by neighborhood lighting everything up. It's going to take years before they get here. And it looked like Centennial gave them a little bit of money to help roll this out within the community. Um, yeah. it, it seems like for gigabit speed, it was about $90 a month. So it seems reasonable. Yeah. If you live in Centennial, maybe you'll get lucky and get that in your neighborhood. Yeah. Now it may very well be that you're already in space by the time they, they light up your neighborhood. Um, but I think it's probably still worth doing. Do, do they have, you know, fiber to the space? Is I, that a thing? I haven't heard yet. No. We'll find out. Maybe soon. Uh, next, uh, there's a, a sort of a sad story that uh, time may be running out on the atomic clock uh, that is in Boulder and then the radio station that broadcasts that uh, atomic clock signal out of Fort Collins. Yeah, so if you have one of those clocks that, that automatically synchronizes time um, kind of magically seeming, um, that's actually at risk right now uh, due to some, some NIST, it was, it was NIST, right? Some NIST uh, budget cuts uh, in 2019, it looks like they may not have the money to keep all of these different uh, stations open, including the one here in town. Yeah, it looked like the Trump administration asked NIST to cut, cut their budget about 36%. Um, and they one of the things that they wanted to cut was this radio station. So that kind of makes me sad. Um, looking at the article, the 100th anniversary of that radio station would be in 2019. Yeah. Well, now, all that said... Um, as much as this is, sounds a little disappointing, there are other solutions now that you can use for this GPS and other technologies that they can be used. But if you have a clock that only works on this, uh, th this radio frequency, you're probably out of luck. It's a, it's a scam. They're just trying to get you to buy new clocks. <laughs> it's like when they, when they went to digital television, right. From analog and That's right. all of a sudden everyone's got to go buy. And, Sorry. You either got to yeah. buy a box or you got to buy a brand new TV. Yeah. yeah it's a rough, you're all the, screwed. All right. Let's move along. Uh, Zero, the uh, the online uh, kind of kind of quick and competitor, the the book bookkeeping uh, solution that's really been hiring heavily in Denver is increasing their Denver uh, workforce once again. They're going to have about three hundred folks in Denver, and they're moving their headquarters up to downtown from the DTC where they've been. Yeah, so they had been uh, well. I think they're originally based um, overseas, and then they moved here, um, and now they're moving from the tech center downtown down to I think Sixteenth and Platt. Uh, so. Cool so, building down there. So their head, their primary headquarters is in New Zealand. They they have their U.S. headquarters in San Francisco. They moved that to Denver last year, and we talked about it on the show. And now they're moving from the DTC up to downtown Denver to be to be where all the cool kids are. Uh, and they have about 140 people in the Denver office now, going to as Rob said, 300. So that's a pretty big increase. It's over a hundred percent increase. Wow, <laughs> that is insane. Uh, next. Uh, ProtectWise, they announced this week that they achieved AWS security competency. Does this I, mean that they were incompetent previously? <laughs> so, um, AWS might want to change the name of that <laughs> award. Um, I, I guess there's probably like extra competency or supreme competency yeah. or, you know, um, anyway, yeah. the, uh, yeah, it, it does make you think like they were incompetent before and now they are competent. But we know the folks over ProtectWise. I'm sure they were not incompetent previously. They are very technically astute folks. It's just kind of a funny name for that designation. Uh, basically, this is just a certification for ProtectWise with AWS 
saying that they are good with doing security on AWS. Yeah, and of course, this is a really important thing for ProtectWise as as they've you know kind of come into the uh, the traffic monitoring world right as the on-prem world is moving into the cloud. So they're making this transition along with it, and it's going to be an important part of their future. So I'm really glad to see the investment they're making there and and the success they're having. Um, next, we have a blog post from Red Canary about what makes, uh, the, the question is, what makes an effective security architecture? And here's a hint. The answer is not, we need more products. What? We don't need more products? I always like more products. Got to, you know, keep my hair all slicked back with all those different products. The vendors just love you. Um, basically, the, the blog is talking about five different areas of the sort of security architecture blueprint that they have. Uh, security awareness and policy enforcement, vulnerability and log management. Uh, privilege account management, content filtering, and perimeter prevention, as well as endpoint threat detection response. And I'd say, you know, for two or three of those, you don't actually need a technology at all, right? It's just good practices, good um, good enforcement across your organization. Understand where you do need good technologies and, and go from there. Next, Optive and Momentum Cyber issued a white paper on five trends and technologies that will help relieve the cybersecurity skills shortage. So do you, do you know who Momentum Cyber is? I actually do not. Um, so they are an advisory firm that gives a, a guidance to security companies. Um, so obviously, you know, working with Optiv, who sells products for most of the security companies, they have a good view of the industry. And the five things that they came up with to help us with the gigantic skill shortage that we have are machine learning, platform consolidation, security integration, automation and orchestration, and continuous security validation. Yeah, the, the platform consolidation and security integration are awfully similar to me. Um, I think basically it's just trying to move away from point point solutions for these yeah, things, right? I would say even the automation and orchestration kind of Could falls be. in the, the same bucket there. So um, I think yeah. that it's, it's pretty decent. Yeah. All right, let's go ahead and... Uh, Move along here next. I think we have a series of articles from Ping this week. Um, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll group a, f a few of them together and I'll let you take the token binding one. Um, so we have uh, a press release here about Ping uh, publishing some findings from their CISO advisory group. One of the neatest things I've got to do as the CISO over at Ping is reach out to our customers and start uh, Ping's CISO Advisory Council, where we get together. and And earlier this year, we met off uh, off in San Diego and. Um, really started working through some tough industry questions. What are the things that we need to do to get better? And what are the trends that are coming down the pike? So some of the stuff is going to go into the ping roadmap for our products, but two, pub two of the things ended up turning into white papers that we're sharing here. Uh, first, what are seven identity trends that you should be monitoring now? And this is where, where identity is going to be going and, and how IAM professionals and security professionals can be prepared for it. And the second one is eight things that every C-level exec should know about identity. So the intention is here, you know, we have the one with the one for identity folks really helping them prepare for the future. And the other is for folks to take back to their office to say, hey guys, this is how we need to rethink how we're using identity. And it's, it's for those folks who are outside of the security and identity worlds. Both worth taking a look at. Uh, free white papers. You don't even have to give your information to download the white paper. Just click the link and you can get it and see if it's good. Wait, what? I can get something for free, it's free without having a salesperson come and attack me, Rob? There will be no sales attached. Awesome. Yeah, yeah you got it. I love it. Uh, so there's another blog post by Ping talking about token binding. So I thought this one was actually pretty in interesting. So, you know, there is these, this concept of tokens, um, whether it's, you know, OpenID or OAuth or, or other things like that. 
um, you know, the tokens are what you know essentially grant you access. Bearer tokens. Bearer yeah. tokens. Yep. Um, but the problem is that those can be stolen. So mm-hmm. if someone steals your token, then they can essentially impersonate you, get access to things that you have access to using these tokens. Uh, the IETF just came out with a standard uh, called token binding, which is sort of um, a novel way to get around this problem. Uh, basically, the uh, the token is then bound to a specific TLS connection, and then that way someone can't steal the token because it is based on that particular TLS session. So seems pretty cool. Uh, the blog also talks about how it is just a standard now and that for it to be useful, people actually have to implement this into browsers and, and other things. So yeah. cool idea. Hopefully it'll get implemented sometime soon. Yeah, they've, they've had, it's interestingly enough, they had Chrome as the, the ones leading the way for implementing it. And the Chrome team just decided uh, that they're not going to move forward with it right now. Microsoft is saying yes, and Firefox are both saying yes. So it'll be interesting to see if they can get the momentum to get this over the line and become a a much more widely adopted thing. It would help all of our security on the web and it's invisible. It, it just works. Right. It's, it's a pretty good thing. Yeah, exactly. All right. So that is it for the news. Um, now it is time to jump over to the Slack message of the week. Slack message of the week. We would like to thank Andre Gaeta, uh, who is our continual sponsor for the Slack message of the week. Very, very generous in helping sponsor this. Um, the Slack message for the week this week uh, was a post by Eugene. Um, I don't actually know Eugene's last name. Um, he posted a blog post by Jonathan Zdarsky on dealing with depression in technology. It was a, it was a good blog post, and you know, depression is a, a very serious matter, and it affects lots of people, yeah. not just in technology, but I think maybe more in technology because you're often isolated, right? Yeah. And I think especially in security, you know, we, we spend so much of our time looking at the bad part of things, looking at problems, staring at the problems that don't get fixed. Um, it's easy to, to you know, get frustrated and, and that can turn into something more serious, uh, I think, if, if you dwell on it too long. So it, it's interesting thing worth reading. So thanks to Eugene for posting that. Uh, we'll get Eugene hooked up with Andre to get his free Colorado Equal Security swag for his Slack message of the week. <laughs> All right. Moving over to events. We mentioned the colorado-security.com website. Go ahead and head over there and go over to our calendar of events to see what's coming. Uh, we, we want to go a month out in the future on the, 18, the 18th of September. There is the Ballard Spar Colorado Cybersecurity Symposium. We hope you guys can join us there. We will be one of the, the sponsors and um, be a part of that show. And, and we'd love to see you there in person. Yeah, we should have more details on content and other things like that soon. But it would be great to have you all there. This is a morning event, uh, 8 to noon kind of deal, uh, over at the Ballard Spar offices. So the first thing on the event calendar for this week is the Denver Splunk meetup on the 27th. On the 28th, uh, the GDPR meetup is happening. And the focus here is single select search, the missing link to GDPR individual rights compliance. On the 31st, SecureSet is hosting one of their Capture the Flag events. Um, SecureSet is also doing their Hacking 101 event on the 6th of September. There's a couple, little bit of a gap there due to Labor Day. Uh, a new event that we have on here, uh, Colorado Springs and the um, Chamber of Commerce down there are doing a yeah. first Friday cybersecurity event. And this is a social and mixer, and they're doing that down there on the 7th of September. And that's in the morning as well. And, and from what I... What I rem- I think it's the morning. Um, what I what I heard from Sean Murray, who's the guy who's putting it together, is that it's uh, it's had a really good attendance in the past. I think it was about fifty or seventy folks, something like that. And so you get to meet a lot of folks. 
Immediate correction. It is four to six p.m. Four to six. Not in the morning. Not, not four to six in the morning. Yeah. It, it's not as fun to have a mixer in the morning because you know then you're drunk all day. <laughs> uh, and then last event here for this this podcast is uh, the CSA is doing a CCSK training on the seventh and eighth, and that is a uh, four charge. It's going to cost money to do that training. Yes. Uh, as part of that, you do get a token to take the CCSK test. Uh, but yeah, it is a, a non-trivial cost. All right, jumping over to jobs. Uh, number one is a brand new job with Ping Identity. It's not even posted on the website as we record. What? Hopefully it'll be Breaking up on the news. website. Hopefully it'll be up on the site here in the next couple of days. Uh, but it is for a cloud security architect uh, helping us with securing our, our IDAS environments when both a SaaS and PaaS environment. And if you have any interest, you can reach out to me directly and we'll talk about it. Chairwell. Uh, which is an ITSM software, kind of like ServiceNow, is looking for a director of information security. NREL is hiring a junior information security officer, which is interesting since we we know they just hired their CISO over there. So I'm guessing that she's looking for some help. Zoom is hiring a senior information security engineer. Uh, We have Noodles and Company hiring an IT security and compliance manager. I'm guessing since uh, in that industry, this is probably the person leading their program. Yeah, might be the one in charge. Carbon Black is looking for a SOC manager up in Boulder. Ball Aerospace is hiring a software security engineer. It looks like Ball Aerospace is hiring for a lot of positions. In security? Um, several, it looks like, in security, but also just a lot in general. We have we know Dan Collender, who's the uh, who's a CISO over there, and I've been twisting his arm to get on the show for, for a year, and he said yes just recently, but he's not on the show yet. Well, maybe he can talk about all the jobs he has. Come on, Dan. Let's do get it. On, get with it. Uh, State of Colorado is looking for an IT security risk and compliance analyst. We have had Debbie Blythe on the show. We have. She's the CISO there. Yep. Uh, Janice Henderson is hiring a security analyst. Once again, CISO has been on the show. That's Joe McComb. And Ruben Brown is looking for a winter 2019 intern in their business advisory services. And business advisory services does include their cybersecurity services. So if you just finished your summer internship and you just didn't get enough... This is your opportunity. Let's go straight into the winter. All right. Well, that is the end of our news this week, Alex. Uh, we do have a feature interview, which is uh, our take two with Sam Massiello. Sam, last we, last time we talked to him was the CISO at Teletech, and he's now been the CISO over at Gates Corp for about a year. Awesome. I look forward to the interview. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Rob. Hi, this is Rich Schleit, the CISO for the Colorado Department of State. This is Colorado Equal Security. Colorado security professionals by Colorado security professionals. All right. Welcome to Colorado Equal Security. This is Rob Reck, and I am back for for number two, part due, with uh, Sam Massiello. Sam, first question is, how did you get these wonderful new digs that we're in right now? Well, you know, I, I, I certainly had nothing to do with that. Uh, <laughs> it, it's a beautiful new office, though. Uh, so for those of us, those who don't know, uh, we moved our office from uh, where we were at about 15th and Wawada, so just south of Coors Field, about five blocks away to the new, uh, I'll call it the new Optiv building. That's yeah. what most, most people call it because it has the big Optiv name on top. Although I guess if you ask the Optiv people, they'll say it's Optiv Tower. But during all the conversations that we had before the move, they were calling it Gates Tower. So I don't, I don't really know whose tower it is. Optiv's name is on top, so that's how most people recognize it. We have signage on our floors as well. Uh, we're on the... Um, the base stone at the bottom of the building where yeah. it says Gates Corporation. So I, I, I don't know when it, six to one half dozen the other, I guess. Well, I just, I just go where they tell me to show up every day. 
It is pretty cool to have a security company's name across the top of the, the newest sky, uh, high, uh, skyscraper here in downtown for sure. Denver. For sure. That's pretty neat. So, so last time we talked, you were the CISO for Teletech, and a, about a year ago, a little bit less than a year ago, you, you made the move over to Gates Corp. Mm -hmm. And I, I am looking forward to you know, spending most of our time today talking about that. Um, but I do think it's kind of fun. You know, I just spent a few minutes looking at like who the other tenants are in this building. And you know, it's pretty big news to get a brand new skyscraper built mm -hmm. in town. Uh, you guys take, I think you said seven floors? Six. Six floors. Yep. Six floors here in the building and, and Optiv has a couple. Chipotle was supposed to have five or so. Yep. And you know, those those jerks have, have bailed <laughs> on us and they're, they're not sticking around in Denver. So uh, they're looking for new tenants for those floors. Mm -hmm. But a, a smattering of law firms and financial um, advisory yep. folks who are filling up the rest of the building here. Um, you're, and you guys are at, just at 15th and uh, in Lawrence, or is that Arapahoe? It's Arapahoe. Arapahoe, yes. 15th and Arapahoe, yeah. So nice, nice location, just a couple blocks from, from the Ping building. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And not far from where we were before. We only moved a few blocks down. So for folks who were already commuting to downtown, you know, the commute is about the same for those of yeah. us who, were, who take the light rail in. So it was super convenient in the old building because we were literally one block from Union Station. Yeah. Now we're about four or five blocks away, but that's, that's still it's yeah, a big deal. Yeah, really convenient. So, you know, as a starting point, I think it'd be nice to, to talk to folks about what Gates is, who Gates is. For those of us who have been in Denver for a couple of decades, you know, Gates might be the, the one, the name that was on those, uh, those factories over on 25 on the west side of the, mm -hmm. the freeway for, mm -hmm. for quite a while. It's not, that, not Gates buildings anymore. Mm -hmm. um, for those who are newer, maybe they don't, they don't know Gates at all. So high level, what, who is Gates and what do you guys do? Yeah, so uh, Gates has been around for 107 years. So uh, we've been around for not too much less time than Colorado has been a state. Wow. Uh, it's been a staple company in Denver for quite a long time. Uh, we do primarily uh, manufacturing, so belts and hoses. Uh, we have two primary business areas. I'll call it uh, power transmission, which is mostly our belts business. And we have fluid power, which is mostly our, our hose and hydraulic uh, business. And Gates is in probably every product or many products that you, that you own or use today, whether mm. it be your car, whether it be your lawnmower, whether it be your ha household mixer that you have in your kitchen. Uh, there's Gates products, whether it's Gates belts or hoses in, in pretty much everything, uh, whether it's made by Gates specifically or it's OEM through another manufacturer, mm. but it's actually a Gates product. Uh, Gates is pretty much everywhere. So it's, uh, it's, we keep the world moving, I'd say in a lot of different ways. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it's a company that's been around for a long time. Uh, for the, you mentioned earlier the, the place that was over on I-25 and Broadway. In fact, when most people find out I work for Gates, it takes them a second to think about like what Gates is. They're like, oh, that, that's nice. And they realize, oh, wait, that's the place that was over at I-25 and yeah. Broadway. Are you guys still over there? And people don't realize that we actually got rid of that building a long time ago, but people used to go to that building, or that, that, that's how people remember yeah. Gates. Uh, because I remember that building was there for so long. In fact, there's probably a good number of people who used to buy tires from that old building as well, because that's, that's how a lot of people get introduced to Gates from the consumer space is that people would actually go to that building and buy tires where, you know, we're primarily a B2B company where we work with uh, large automobile uh, manufacturers, large uh, auto part resellers, things like that. But people used to go to that building to buy tires for yeah. their cars. And so I've actually had some people ask me, hey, can I still go buy tires over at that building? And like, well, you couldn't, not for a long time, but, yeah. uh, but that's how people remember the company. And, they, and I hear stories all the time from people who have had family members and relatives and friends and such who have worked at Gates in some time in the past, just because it's been, around for so long and it's been such a major employer here in Denver that um, you know, people just yeah. re they recognize the name very easily. Yeah. And if you go to Bandemir Speedway, there's a huge Gates banner there too. 
So, so you know, and I know, I remember the building when I first got to, to Denver. I, I do believe the building was still being used when I got there. And then somewhere along the way, it, it was not being used. And it, it, it kind of became like uh, a pretty rundown looking building. And then now all of a sudden it's beautiful offices, right? right? So this, this revitalization of Denver has been pretty fun to see. Um, so you made the move over here from Teletech, which is another one of the large employers mm-hmm. in Denver, right? And I'd love to hear from your perspective why, right? Why would you want to make that change from CISO to from one big Denver company to another? Yeah. So I'll, I'll talk more about the the Gates side of things, you know, because the, yeah. the, from from Gates' perspective, you know, they they've been around for a long time, as I mentioned, and they never had a full time security leader before. Yeah. Uh, There's a gentleman who was here before. Uh, who was in charge of the network team, was trying to bolt security onto his role, but you know, never really had a, a full-fledged, and he'll admit this too, so I'm not saying anything. Never had he, the mandate, right? Yeah, so he, and he would, he'd admit this as well. It's something that he, he's, he stated to me, is that you know, he never really had the structure or the resources to start building a full-fledged program out. So uh, when I found out this position was, was open, um, applied for it, and me and the CIO hit it off right away. Hmm. You know, we talked about philosophies, uh, his own philosophy relative to building a security program or what he thinks it should look like you know, from a high-level structure perspective. I gave him what my philosophy is, and, and he just said, yeah, that's exactly in alignment with what I think as well. So I gave him some more detail as to kind of how I'd still go about building the program and uh, hit it off with him really well, hit it off with his team really well. Uh, I'll say it's, it's been a great move overall. Uh, the environment here is very supportive. I'll say that when I came here, there were people trying to incorporate security into what they were doing in different ways, but didn't necessarily know, like, is it best practice? Is that the right thing to do? Am I even doing something that's actually going to make us more secure? And so from that standpoint, it was good to be able to come in and at least come into an environment where the desire to do things the right way was very strong, Mm. not only within the people that were here, but also from a leadership and an executive perspective as well. There's also a large drive from their standpoint because, quite frankly, it's it's widely believed, and I agree with this as well, that manufacturing slash critical infrastructure is something that we're going to see more more attacks in, and so uh, Gates has a very strong interest in making sure that we're doing doing the right thing relative to securing the data that we that we're entrusted with, right? Because we don't have a lot of credit card data. You know, we're not an e-commerce company. Uh, we do have a lot of intellectual property. We have a lot of data that that describes how we build our products, how the compounds are put together, how the the hoses and the belts are assembled, and just all the pieces and parts that go into that. We also have plans from our partners as to how they want us to build our belts and hoses that end up going into their products as well. So so again, we don't have high value data relative to like things that the consumers would necessarily care about, but certainly for us and our partners who are very large uh, organizations in their own right, we have to make sure we're protecting that information. And plus, we're a, very, we're a multinational company. We're in many different countries across the, across the globe. And so we have to be rel, um, aware of things like GDPR mm. uh, and other rules and regulations that are coming out related to privacy. California recently signed its own, uh, a new law. Colorado recently signed a new law. And so you know, we have to make sure we're staying up on all of that stuff because you know, at the end of the day, we're, we're protecting not only our own employee data, but also, again, all that intellectual yeah. property. So let's, let's back up to when you first got here, right? Yeah. Uh, I think... Am I correct in remembering when you got here, there was no one in security at all, right? You were there was one. There was one other person. One other, okay. So uh, my predecessor actually had three people on his team. Okay. Uh, himself, uh, another gentleman who ended up going to Optiv uh, from here. Yeah. And then uh, the person who was still here when I got here. Yep. So uh, she's been great, actually. She, uh, she's been with Gates slash Tompkins, which is a parent company of Gates uh, before Blackstone hmm. came in. Uh, so between those two companies, she's been with Gates for about 18 years. Hmm. Uh, 
Uh, I'll say Gates, even though she was with Tompkins and Gates, but she's been around a long time. Yeah. Uh, so she's been a great resource to me because she helped, you know, helped me understand not only how the company works, but she knows where all the bodies are buried. She knows all the skeletons in the closet, right? So she, she knows all, and has a lot of history as to why we've done certain things or not done certain things in the past, why things are built certain ways, why they're not built certain ways. So uh, it was me and her for the first seven months that I was here. Okay. And then in April, we hired another gentleman uh, who's worked with me a couple times in the past as well. And last month, we hired the person who's going to be leading our security operations center that we're starting to build out as well. So he's going to be based out of India. Uh, he's here for July and August to meet some people here, understand process and procedure of gates, do a lot of knowledge transfer, start documenting some runbooks, things of that nature, so that at the end of this month, at the end of August, he's going to head back to India and he's going to start uh, basically in run state for our security operations center. We're also looking to hire out there somebody else around that time. So he'll have somebody be able to mentor, hand off some of the runbook documentation too, and start building out the team and functionality there. So you know, going back to you know day one when you started at Pay, uh, excuse me, at, at Gates, you uh, you know you, you had some kind of HR orientation. You figured out where the bathrooms was. How how did you go from you know brand new guy on uh, working on the team to starting to really get a plan in place? What did, what did day one look like? Day, yeah. month one. So, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll say first thirty days, right? Sure. So so to me, I, and I kind of laid this out to to the CIO when we, when uh, during the interview process. I said, look, you know, to me. First thing you have to do is start establishing relationships in the company, right? There are certain relationships you need to make sure you have, that you solidify, that you have in pretty good working order, right? You have a good rapport with folks. Folks in the IT infrastructure team, the network team, uh, any sort of application development teams that you have. Legal will certainly be a strong partner as well because you're going to work with them on contracts and and employee investigations and whatever else you need to work with them on. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm working with them now on some uh, tool deployments so they have a a new... uh, compliance tool that they want to work with. And so I've been working with them on that as well. So uh, to me, the first thing is to start establishing those relationships and make sure you know who they are, they know who you are, how you can help each other, how you can be a service to them. Uh, It's important to establish those relationships early because if you don't establish them early and you don't have that strong rapport with those teams, ultimately you need them to execute, right? You, You need them to help you execute and you need to make sure that they're doing things in a way that, as we were talking about earlier, they, there was a strong interest in understanding how to do things the right way. They just didn't know how to do it. And so you need to have that strong partnership there so they understand what your expectations are and they understand when they need to come to you, uh, what sort of questions they need to ask you to make sure that, because you can't, especially when you have a small team, you can't see everything all the time and you can't be in everything in all places at all times. And so by, by establishing those relationships and having them understand what, what the base rules are, Right, what the baseline is as to when they need to be making sure that they're including you in those conversations, then they'll do it organically as opposed to you having to overhear things and stick your fingers in things as opposed to them coming to you organically. Uh, so that's a big part of it. Second, from there, is what do you need to do? Right? Once, you have the, once you have the relationships built, what do you need to do within the organization? Because every organization is different. You know, as you walk in, as I said, Gates never had a full-time security leader before, so there's a lot of things we're building from the ground up. A lot of foundational things we're putting in place, a lot of process, a lot of procedure, a lot of standards development, a lot of policies that didn't exist before. And so every company is different, right? You may walk into a company who's had somebody for a year or two who may have some of that stuff in place, or you may walk into a very greenfield environment where none of that's there. So from a Gates perspective, uh, well, really anybody perspective, but what what I typically do when I come into an organization is we do a full risk assessment of all the various security domains, right? Whether it's policy, governance, encryption, endpoint protection, network protection, compliance, you know, the list of like 30, 35 different domains that I generally like to look at. And what do you use for your framework for the risk assessment? 
Um, mostly the CSF. So just to identify, you know, what are the domains we have to care about? Um, ISO as well. The NIST cybersecurity framework for those. Yes, sorry. Unfamiliar? I, yes, I probably should have uh, extrapolated that. And, but we also try to align it towards ISO as well, right? Because ISO certainly has uh, the policies and controls that you need to have in place to build a, a, a good program. But when I look at the, the various security domains, right, I try to break it down into two functional parts, right? So you have, as I said, encryption, endpoint protection, all that stuff. Uh, and you look at it from two different dimensions. You look at it from one, what's the risk exposure to the company if that, uh, if that domain were to somehow get exploited? And you're gonna find that in most organizations, there's not gonna be a whole lot of difference between you know, what the risk exposure is, but it, it depends on the company, right? E-commerce versus manufacturing, you'll find some variances here and there. But for the most part, there's not gonna be a whole lot of variance between is this a high risk, is this a, is this a high risk exposure to the company versus low risk exposure to the company. Where things become really variant is in the maturity of those particular areas. So uh, you know, do, you, do you have virtually no awareness of the fact that you should be encrypting sensitive data? Do you have no awareness of the fact that you should have antivirus on your endpoints versus you know, do you have a fully fledged program where you have a next gen endpoint protection tool on every single endpoint and server that's being fully monitored by a SOC, you know, all the alerting mechanisms in place, right? So it, as you look at the, the spectrum between, let's call one through a five, right, where one is least mature, five is most mature, uh, you can look at that sort of assessment and be able to organically be able to develop your roadmap relatively quickly, mm -hmm. right? Because you have your high risk exposure areas, your lowest maturity areas, and you say, all right, those are the things we need to work on first because if they end up getting exploited, they could end up causing the most damage to the company. Sure. And then over time, right, you start building out your capabilities with your people, uh, you start addressing those various areas of weakness, so you start building up maturity in, you start uh, augmenting some tools on top of that, so you can start building upon the capabilities of your people and, and building automation on top of that as well, so you can get more mature in those areas. And then as you, say, move something from a one to a two, or maybe from a one to a two to a three, uh, you still have your other high-risk exposure areas that may have other low areas of maturity, and so you can just build your, your, your roadmap fairly organically by just constantly reassessing where you are relative to that risk assessment. So I think I heard you say you're looking at each kind of area of security through two lenses. One is what's the impact if something bad happens here? Mm -hmm. And the second one is how mature is our controls in that area right now? Exactly right. Okay. Yeah. Um, that's fairly technical in nature, I think, right? Mm -hmm. um, we, there's, you can spend a lot of time on writing policies and putting governance in place and um, you talk about the relationships, but you can also formalize relationships and, and getting IR testing. Mm -hmm. uh, these things that are that are important part of a security program structure mm -hmm. versus actually kind of a technical go do these things. How do you balance between those two areas? How do you determine which one you're going to focus on first, or how do you you know interweave them? How do you think about that? Yeah. So I mean, from from my standpoint, right, lay out the plan. Uh, work with your executive management. So I work with the CIO, I worked with our CFO as well, whom our, who our uh, CIO reports to, and kind of laid out the plan of, of this, is, this is how we're going to go about and, and attack these things, right? And, what is, and it needs to be a collaborative discussion as well. So what, these are the things that you're um, proposing, right, that we move forward with, but from a business standpoint, are those things that the business cares about, right? So there needs to be another part of that discussion as well, is what's important to the business to make sure you're protecting versus what, based off of your risk assessment, do you feel is important to protect? So you have to end up having to put those two pieces together to really figure out like what, what is your roadmap going to look like? Because to your point, you can't just focus on the technical details, even though they're looking to you to identify like what are those technical details we need to work out. But if you're not necessarily focusing on the areas that the, that's important to the business, 
then you're not focusing on the right things either. So you may, you may still need to make sure you're focusing on those areas of, of low maturity, but at the same time, you need to also make sure from a business standpoint, you're focusing on the things that are important to them. Because if something happens to something that's important to the business and you, weren't, you didn't have your eye on that ball, then yeah. that's a pretty, pretty difficult one-way conversation. Hmm. So it makes perfect sense that you, know, you come up with a roadmap and then you share that with the key stakeholders, right? I, I, I get that. What about, what about feathering in though those those things that are? Uh, I'm just thinking, you know, only only a security leader really understands the importance of you know incident response training, or having an IR team and having an IR plan that's been that's been gone through. I think mm -hmm. generally speaking, a, a business leader is going to say, you know, go go invest in making me more protected, not so much in getting really good at detection and response and recovery. Mm -hmm. How do you how do you kind of balance that and and, and coach your, your leadership through that process to think about where, where that should fit. Yeah. Well, especially that, that's a great example, right? Because these days it's not a question of if you're going to get breached, but when you're going to get breached. Mm -hmm. And so you, it's, it's not necessarily a difficult conversation relative to, uh, at least from my perspective, being able to help make sure that the organization is prepared for when that happens, right? You, you need to have BCDR plans in place so you can prepare for when system outages occur. Uh, you need to have your RTOs and RPOs in place so you know how to recover from those things when they happen. Well, there's a lot of analogies to be drawn between that and security incident response as well, because when a security incident happens, you need to make sure people understand how they need to respond. Because if they don't know, if they don't necessarily know what the plan is or what the organizational uh, process is to respond and when those people need to get involved, then what you end up happening is you have people running around like chickens with their heads cut off, everyone trying to do something that is potentially useful, right? They, they're just trying to help solve the problem, right? Nobody's, nobody's trying to be destructive. They're trying to help solve the problem and help try to figure out what's going on and what's wrong. But if people don't necessarily know their role and understand when they need to be getting involved and when they need to be getting engaged and how they need to be getting engaged and who's supposed to engage them, then your, your plan kind of falls apart relatively quickly, right? You end up having, I had a situation before in another company where uh, there was a uh, proposed, alleged, that's what we're looking for. There was a possibility that something may have been breached and nothing was confirmed at that point. Uh, research had just barely even started into what the incident was and somebody else who, was, who had heard of the investigation that was going on decided to go tell a data protection authority that there had been a compromise, mm. even though there was no evidence of the fact that actually took place. Sure. And so then we had DPAs crawling up our backsides uh, asking the, for the information. data protection authority is one of the governmental uh, folks in Europe who would, is responsible for implementing GDPR and other privacy requirements over yep, there, right? Yep, And this was well before GDPR, okay. but, but still, uh, we had them crawling up our backside on a regular basis asking yeah. for information, asking for evidence, asking for you know, all sorts of stuff that we just didn't have yet because yeah. there was nothing confirmed that anything actually happened. Right. And we brought a forensics firm in and uh, had them do an investigation and they could never find anything that actually happened. Mm. So, I mean, it ended up being much to do about nothing. Uh, but anyway, kind of, kind of circling back, right? Uh, by being able to, uh, that's what I'm looking for, describe, or yeah, describe, I guess, uh, what, the, um, you know, what the purpose is behind some of these things that you're doing outside of the technical realm, it helps build the business case as to why you need to be doing it, right? Because nobody, nobody questions the need to be able to make sure that we have backups of data and of sites when something may go awry or something may go down. Same thing from my perspective is, is, uh, is in place from a, an incident response perspective, where if you don't necessarily know how you're going to respond to a security incident, then how are people going to know what to do? How right. are people going to know what to do when a system goes down? How are people going to know what to do when you have an incident occur? Mm -hmm. 
So, so I, I, I'd love to get as much detail as you're willing to share about what that initial plan to turn into, maybe for 2018 objectives and goals for you and your team. Mm -hmm. You know, what, what's the what's the punch list of work to get through? You know, in, in your first real full year, I, I spend you, I assume you spent most of 2017 kind of figuring out what the plan was going to be and kind of getting to the work in 2018. Mm -hmm. What's what? How much are you willing to share about what you're actually focusing on this year? Yeah. So I. I'll speak fairly high level about it. Yeah. I mean, as I mentioned earlier, we, we're, we're really building a lot of capabilities here mm -hmm. in the beginning. So uh, a lot of foundational stuff around just basic capabilities and monitoring. Uh, there really wasn't much visibility into what sure. was happening into the network. Uh, wasn't a lot of controls in place as to how we were segregating systems and data and information. Wasn't a lot of visibility into uh, where people were going on the network, where people were logging in from. And so we've got a lot of those holes pick, fixed yeah. at this point. Uh, we put a fair amount of investment into having tools in place that allow us to start getting more of that visibility. Every day we're working with the infrastructure teams to be plugging more and more of our systems into those tools so we can start doing some more data correlation. That's part of the reason why we, we started building out the SOC now as well. Uh, you know, Eight months in, 10 months in as opposed to earlier because we didn't really have the maturity yet from a tools perspective to be able to have something to give to them so they can actually have something to monitor. Yeah. Right? Uh, looking at some of the tools we had in place, uh, rationalizing a lot of the tools we had in place. So I, when I came in, there were a few things that uh, we had purchased prior to my arrival that, quite frankly, the business wasn't ready for. We weren't getting any value out of. Mm. And so a lot of it was rationalizing what we had versus what we needed and not paying for the things anymore that we didn't need. So we actually were able to use some of the money that we got back from those things we weren't paying for anymore to start funding some other things. Because mm -hmm. uh, when I started uh, around the end of September was pretty much around the end of the budget cycle. So there was, uh, you know, my, my budget was fairly well locked in at that point. Right. So we and, had to, and you're so new, you don't really know what you need to spend anyway. Right? That's right, that's right. But uh, you know, we, we, from that standpoint though, there was still limited flexibility as to what we could actually accomplish this year. Mm -hmm. And so we had to end up using some of the money we got back yep. to fund some of our other initiatives for this year. Uh, and also, in addition to getting rid of the things that we don't need anymore that we had that we purchased previously, it's also looking at what we had to make sure that we had licensed appropriately for the tools we wanted to keep. So for the things that we had in place already, you know, do we have a big enough SIM, for example? Well, if not, then let's go purchase a, a larger infrastructure for our SIM. Do we have enough AV licenses for the for the, some of the products that we have? Do we have more? You know, so making sure we're properly licensed for the tools we want to keep. Uh, there was. Uh, I'll use another example. So like NextGen AV, for example, uh, we have, you know, being a, being a manufacturing company, we have some fairly old legacy infrastructure that's around. And so uh, we purchased one of the NextGen AV products to help protect us on those systems uh, because there were systems that couldn't be patched anymore by Microsoft. And so mm -hmm. uh, original use case for that AV product was specifically against those systems. But as we have started to deplete those number of systems in the environment and upgrade them into either virtual environments with new operating systems or upgrade the operating systems that's sitting on those machines, uh, what we've done is repurposed that AV product to instead of just solving that one use case for those end-of-life operating systems, now we're deploying it out to the rest of the server environment as well and not having to pay any more for it because we already had the licenses before, now we're just better using the licenses that we had. So anyway, go back to your question. Uh, a lot of this year has been around visibility, rationalization of tools, operationalizing the tools that we have that we're keeping, and starting to build some more capabilities around them so that we can, for example, utilize the SOC to be able to start getting us some better intelligence and more data around what's happening in the environment. Yeah. So if we say that you know, figuring out what the environment looked like and putting together a plan was chapter one, and then chapter two is 2018, what you're doing with you know, getting the visibility and 
and maturing some processes. Is, that's chapter two. So what's chapter three going to look like? 2019, what, what do you see as your, your next hill to climb? Yeah, so I, I think uh, chapter three is going to be a bit of a continuation of chapter two. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's still a lot of things we're trying to build out here that, you know, quite frankly, with just a small team, yeah. there's only so much you can accomplish. Uh, you know, we're growing relatively quickly. As I mentioned, we had two at the start of the year. Maybe I shouldn't say relatively quickly. We had two at the start of the year. By the end of the year, we'll probably have five or six. So, I mean, that's, you know, per, from a percentage standpoint, mm-hmm. that's, that's pretty significant. And it's getting us some additional capabilities. But, you know, since we're starting from more or less zero, uh, there's still a lot of things we have to get done in 2019 that are just a continuation of 2018. But as I start mm-hmm. looking at that, right, it's how do we start improving upon what we built upon in 2018. So, in addition to more capabilities, things around say, mobile mobility management, I'm uh, sorry, enterprise mobility management, mm-hmm. right? So taking a look at the data that people have on their phones. Here we have a mixture of corporate devices as well as personal devices. So how do we gain some more management around the data, the Gates data that's going on those devices? And how do we ensure that, let's say, if somebody leaves the company or loses a phone, uh, you know, how do we ensure that the data that belongs to Gates is no longer on that device? Right. So not just preventing authentication so that you can't download any more information, but how do you tie that data mm-hmm. to a profile such that when you leave the company or lose your phone, that I can just wipe that data completely and yeah. it's no longer there. Uh, so things like that, uh, things we're thinking about for next year. Uh, but really, it's, it's going to be a lot, of, a lot of continuation of what we're building this year and starting to get more visibility and tack more tools into the tools we already have and start building some automation on top of it as well. So that as we continue building out the SOC, we have the ability to give them additional capabilities uh, through automation and have them be able to respond more to alerts and be able to triage alerts that happen as opposed to trying to build a lot of those rules from the ground up. Yeah. So when you you talk about automation, is is automation one of the one of the things you're looking to hire for, you know, scripting skills, or is that something that you guys are all learning as you go? Or how do you, how do you think of automation? I, I wouldn't say at this point we're looking to hire for, uh, with people that have automation skills. Now yeah. that said, uh, you know, if people have scripting abilities, that that certainly will help make your job easier. Yeah. But I'm certainly not making it a qualification as what we're, of what we're looking what we're looking for at this point. Yeah. Uh, but as we continue to grow out the team, and as we continue to want to grow out additional capabilities on top of the tools that we have, at this point, the primary goal is just to start operationalizing what we have. And then from there, we can start building on additional capabilities around scripting and automation that, that we didn't have before. So mm-hmm. I, I'd imagine as we continue to grow out the team, having that sort of skill set will be something that we'll, we'll desire more, but it's not necessarily something I require of the people that are coming on yeah. the team today. So when you look at folks you want to hire over the next you know, 6 to 18 months you know, as you fill out this team, mm-hmm. um, what, are the, what are the core skill sets or personality attributes or whatever it is you're going to be looking for in those next team members? Yeah. So I think as we start to build out capability, so I, I generally break down security into four fundamental buckets. Mm-hmm. Um, security operations, GRC, which is governance, risk, and compliance, uh, threat and vulnerability management, and security awareness and education. Now, you can combine some of those legs together, right? You can put training and awareness under security operations. Like you can mix and match them. But as, as I think about kind of the four legs of the stool, that's generally how I try to build things out. Now, that said, Typically, when you're first trying to build out your team, you're focusing mostly on security operations, right? How do you keep the lights on every day? How to start integrating more into the business, working with the infrastructure teams, that sort of thing. And then as you continue to grow out capabilities and start building into things like, let's make sure that we are actually patching our systems, all right? Well, that's how you start building out your threat and vulnerability management program. You don't, and it'd be nice, ideally, if you had a lead over each, leader over each one of those functions, you can you know, ha- kind of have those functions run independently. But what ends up happening, especially with a smaller team, is that you end up kind of doing them all 
in kind of a mishmash, yeah. uh, just in, in various pieces and parts of your day. So as I think about next year, one of the things that I want to start building out is more of a GRC program. So as we start thinking more about ensuring compliance with GDPR, right, which, uh, which we're working on, and other areas that we're potentially going to get into from a business standpoint that I can't share at the moment, uh, you know, there's going to be a greater need for having someone who's more at, a, at the head of our compliance program, yeah. right? someone who's focusing more on making sure that we are compliant with the controls, making sure that we have the documentation we need to have, making sure we have the segmentation we need to have. Uh, and it's just not going to be possible, I don't think, with just the people that we have doing mostly SecOps work to try to absorb all of that as well, to have somebody who's actually focused on ensuring from an InfoSec perspective that we're, we're following all the right controls from that standpoint. Um, as part of that also, doing more risk assessments internally, right? So as, as we start getting more visibility into our network and systems, how are we doing relative to improving the environment? Or as we start bringing on new systems, uh, how are we ensuring that uh, those systems are uh, up to our standard from a security standpoint. Right now, we're doing that mostly as part of SecOps, but I'd like to have a function that you know focuses more on new vendor acquisition, new tool acquisition, um, third-party cyber risk management, right? So how do we start folding more of a vendor assessment capability into a formal GRC function as opposed to just kind of being part of what we do today? Mm -hmm. So I feel like today, you know, we're trying to, we're, we're uh, we're performing all the actions of that four-legged stool as part of one SecOps group, which allows us to do a little bit of a lot of things. But as we start growing out the maturity of the program and we need to start doing more things in a more dedicated fashion and be able to be able to move the ball a little bit faster in certain areas, as I think about kind of the next step, GRC is, is the next thing I want to start building out, and then uh, threat and vulnerability management mm -hmm. as well. So I don't necessarily look at like a full red team slash blue team, but at least starting to get more visibility into the vulnerabilities that exist on the network so we can make sure that as we're identifying those, we have a process in place with our infrastructure teams and our network teams and our operations teams to ensure that those systems are getting patched on a regular basis. Mm. So, so making, making patching more part of the culture and operational tasks of what the, t what the infrastructure teams are doing as opposed to it being more of a break-fix type methodology where right. we scan and they fix. Right? Yeah. It should be they patch, we scan to validate that they're actually performing the operational tasks they're supposed to be doing, where today it's kind of the other way around. So when you, when you, th what people, when you talk about candidates who would be applying with you, what skills, you talked about GRC and I get it, but you know, someone's listening now and they're like, hey, I want to be, the, I want to be part of the Gates um, team and maybe they don't have experience on any of those areas yet, what, what would you like them to go out and learn so when they come talk to you, they're an interesting candidate? Mm -hmm. So quite honestly, I, I generally try to think outside the box a little bit when it comes to hiring. Um, you know, when, it, when it comes to certain skill sets, obviously having, from, from my perspective, security is more a mindset hmm. than anything else. Um, not to say that experience isn't important. I'm certainly not trying to, trying, trying to put it that way, but some of the most successful people that I've hired in security operations roles, right? So I'll get back to your question in a second. But some of the people that I've, that I've been most successful that I've hired in security operations type roles or in SOC type roles uh, have been people that never even came from a security or technical background. One of the most successful people that I had in a previous role uh, was a waitress at Perkins for nine years before I ended up bringing her onto my team, just because she had the right, she had the mindset, she had the desire to learn, and she became a great security analyst. But as you start moving into, you know, that, that's great for entry-level type functions, right? But as you start getting into uh, more advanced functions of security. But how do you identify that candidate during an interview? What do you mean? Well, I mean, the, the Perkins waitress. Yeah. Um, you know, 
how can you tell that that particular candidate has the right mindset, you know, yeah. has the has the right stuff yeah. without having any experience in the background that yeah. that's the one. Yeah. Right? It was a it was a bit of a leap of faith, leap of faith to some right. degree, but at the same time, you try to dig into their analytical skills. Whereas so what I was hiring for, for that particular position was more of a security operations center type role. There's going to be a lot of data analytics, a lot of uh, it was it was at an anti-spam company. And so there's a lot of finding a needle in the haystack, mm. right? Identifying patterns uh, in emails that were being reported to us by our customers. And so how do you how do you identify the things that are unique to those particular types of messages that you wouldn't find necessarily in something legitimate? So it was, like I said, it was more of a mindset thing than anything else, more of a data analytic skill, more of a how do I um, how do I learn? How, I guess how do how do I learn good behavior from bad behavior, and how do I identify the bad behavior in potentially a very difficult data set? Um, Again, that was, that was a leap of faith in, yeah. in some ways, but it, as you kind of meet somebody and you kind of suss some of their skills out through an interview, you get an idea as to whether or not you think that they have that, that skill set or not. And of course, you can give them some samples and say, you know, what, what about this doesn't look right to you? But you know, for somebody who's been a waitress for nine years, we're not going to know necessarily how to, mm. how to analyze email headers and things like that. But, um, but nevertheless, for, from my standpoint, a lot of the things that I'm looking for now, for people who don't necessarily have a lot of experience, it's that desire to learn. Because... I, Security to me in a lot of ways comes down to common sense. Uh, you, you, there's a lot of things you can learn, but there's a lot of things that just come down to common sense. And if you understand or can learn some of the technical aspects of it, then I think you can be successful. Uh, it's just a matter of how you, how you go about that learning, how you go about that learning process and how you go about obtaining new knowledge and also having the desire to learn more, right? Not just the skills of what you learn on the job every day, but what else are you doing outside of the job to keep sharpening the saw, if you will. Uh, are you involved in the local security groups? So are you going to OWASP meetings? Are you going to ISSA? Not that I necessarily require that for somebody, but at the same time, it shows the desire to learn and become better as opposed to just thinking you're going to go out getting all your training on the job. Yeah, I think that going above and beyond in your personal life is, is such a critical uh, indicator, right? If this person, is this person going to be passionate about the work? Mm -hmm. Are they getting involved with an open source community and like helping some of these projects? OWASP has a lot of projects you mm -hmm. can get involved with, right? That kind of work can be that what shows that you're, you're the pat, you're the passionate one and you want to learn and, yes. and move into new things. I think that's great. Um, so, you know, what is the, what does the future look like for, for Sam Masiello here at Gates? You know, looking you know a couple years into the future we're, we're short get, running short on time here so i'd love to hear you kind of summarize for me where you think this is going yeah so um as i said earlier it, it's a great environment here uh, a lot of support from executive leadership a lot of support from the my peers on a regular basis and so it's we're, we're building some really good stuff here uh, I, I laid out what i thought was a pretty aggressive plan when i got here and we're ahead of schedule on the plan so mm -hmm. i mean from that from that standpoint you know it's, it's a testament to not only the work that the team is doing but also the support that we're getting from the organization yeah. as well. So I mean, from that standpoint, I really, I really don't feel like I could have landed in a better situation than, than I have. Yeah. And I'm not just saying that because we're sitting in our office right now and you know, who, who knows who else can hear. It, um, does, it really doesn't matter how good you are as a security leader if the organization is not supportive. That's right. You, you can't, you're not gonna get anywhere. That's right, that's exactly right. And, I, and I've, I've run into that situation in the past. Yeah. Um, but you know, that, that's, it, it goes part and parcel with the organization too. You know, do, they, do they have an appetite to 
ensure that they are building a good security posture within their organization such that when and if they have a breach of some kind, right? It, 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 ultimately, you get, you get remembered for how you respond to those situations mm -hmm. and how those situations turn out, not so much anymore the fact that you had one because it, there's almost an expectation now that you're going to have right. one at some point. Everyone's going to get popped in that. That's right. Yeah. But how do you handle that when it happens and what is the support you're going to get from the organization and what are the things that you're doing to ensure that you're ready when that happens? Uh, but anyway, going, kind of going down to the next couple of years, I mean, I, I, I hope, knock on wood, uh, that I have a you know, fairly long, successful career here. I mean, I, I, at this point, I feel no reason why I'd want to really go anywhere else. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a great company, great organization, great support. Uh, the company went public again back in January after being private for a few years. Mm -hmm. So that, that's, been a, that's been a nice uh, lift for the company as well. Uh, you know, certainly creates some energy around here relative to uh, you know, the success of the organization. So yeah. there's a lot of vested interest that folks have in making sure the company is successful. Uh, we have a lot that we're doing with our, our various regions as well. You know, there's a, one, one of the things that was also interesting when I got here was, uh, and I apologize if I'm going to make this run over on time here, but uh, you know, one of the other standards that we need to make sure we set when it came into the organization was our various regions were kind of self-managed for a long time. And, and as I came in and as, a, as a, the new infrastructure leader came in as well, he started just before I did, uh, one of the things that was clear to us was that if we're going to make this environment easier for his team to manage and for my team to manage, we're going to have to start establishing some, some standards relative to technology and security posture and policies and things mm -hmm. like that. And so having, having partners like that is what makes getting up in the morning to come to this place pretty easy. Awesome. That's great. Well, with that, Sam, awesome to get to reconnect with you and, and share how things are going. I think since the last time we talked, you were one of the finalists for the 2017 CISO. I was, year. yes. So congratulations. I haven't had a chance to say it to you on Thank you. Uh, on, on the podcast, but congratulations for that. That was well-deserved. Um, that was for your work at Teletech, and maybe you'll maybe you'll get up there again for, for Gates Warming. I hope too. so. Awesome. So. All right, well, well, hopefully we'll talk to you again soon, and we appreciate reconnecting. Thank you very much. Right, see you, Sam. Learn more about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado equals security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado equals security.